Well, good morning, Providence. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Happy 4th of July weekend. I'm excited that you guys are here with us and not out on a cabin or, or a lake or something. And I think with the rain this morning, God is telling us that you should be in church anyway. So that's good. I'm joking, kind of. Also, I do have to confess this. I'm slightly insecure. I asked my wife this morning. I was like, is it wrong to preach in a t-shirt? It felt kind of weird. I feel like I need a collar or a few more buttons or something, but she didn't answer me. So I don't actually know if it's right or wrong. But anyway, I'm excited that you guys are here and I'm excited for the word of God this morning as was just read to us by Simon. Um, And as we get into this morning, what I want to do is I I want you to start by, by... remembering if you've ever asked this question in your life. Have you ever asked the question, what is my purpose in life? Has anyone ever asked that or, or something like that? Like, hey, what am, I, what am I really here for? What's the meaning of life? What is this all about? Or, or maybe what is God's call on my life? What does God want me to do with my life? Have you ever asked this? Even when I was growing up, I've asked this type of question many, many times. You know, I grew up, and I'm a, I'm a thinker, and things have to kind of make sense in my mind for me to have a piece about it. So even when I was young, um, I would ask this question, like, man, what is, what is my purpose? Like, does my life really matter? You know, as an eight-year-old, I'm sitting there thinking, like, what does my life really mean? What am I supposed to do? And then you, you get into college, and for me, like, that question just ramps up in college, right? Like, I was, I was switching majors, I was business and journalism and political science, and I was all over the place, and I was wrestling with this, what am I supposed to do with my life? And then in college, I became a Christian, and the question kind of shifted a little bit, and now I started asking, well, what does God want me to do with my life? Like, what is God's call on my life? Have you ever asked a question like this? Maybe for you it was early on uh, when you were a child, or maybe some of you college students, you're thinking through that right now, trying to figure out, man, what am I doing with my life? Maybe you're a single young adult, and you've just, you've gotten out of school, and now you're thinking, man, what is, what do I do now? Like, what is after school, or or young families, and, and you've had a couple kids, and it's been a whirlwind, and you haven't slept, and you're trying to make sure everyone stays alive, and all of a sudden you look around, and you're like, wait, what am I doing? Like, what is this life about or even empty nesters that you've raised your kids you've sent them off and now you think man what what's this season like what what's the purpose for now I think it doesn't matter if you're four or 14 or 34 or 74 this is not an abnormal questions it's one of the most foundational questions in life to ask man what's the purpose Maybe some of you even are feeling a little alone or you're feeling like you're just wandering and you're just wondering, man, what is the purpose of all this? Well, this morning, uh, as we talk about our core value, we're in this series of core values for our church, we're going to talk about this idea of mission. We've talked about the arrows, the down, up, in, and out. This is the out arrow. This is the mission of our church. And before we get really practical, in August, we're going to spend a few weeks getting very, very practical as to what do we do as a church to launch in September. As Jared said, we're publicly launching then. So what are we going to practically do to to be on mission? But this morning, I want to stay away from that a little bit. And I want to just answer this foundational question and just ask, okay, but what's the overall mission? 
right? For me to tell you, hey, go talk to your neighbors and share the gospel and and care about people, we've got to have a bigger picture that compels us, otherwise it's not going to last. And so today I want to try to answer this question. If you've ever wondered, what's my purpose in life, this morning you're going to get an answer. We're going to look at scripture and see what it says. And so as we do this, I have three things that I want to address. So if you're a note taker, here's the three points for this morning. We're going to look at the mission of God, the method of God, and the church of God. To understand mission and purpose, we're going to look at the mission of God, the method of God, and the church of God. And hopefully by the end, when we see uh, what God is doing, how he's doing it, and what our role is in it, that that should lay a foundation of mission for our church. So to begin, I want to spend just a couple minutes looking at this idea of the mission of God. Now we're going to spend a bulk of our time in the last couple points, but I do want to just address, if we're going to look at this big question, if we hear say, look, God has created us, he is the supreme being in all the earth, if, we, if we're going to say that, then we should first look at, okay, well, what is he doing? Like, what does God care about? What's his mission so that we can kind of align ourselves with it? So the the most concise way that I can put this is that the mission of God is to fill the earth with his glory. The mission of God is to fill the earth with his glory. It's the ultimate end to which God acts. Everything he does is so that his glory would fill the earth, so that his name will be worshipped. This is the purpose of God. Now, I know that I can't just say that and kind of move on, right? I mean, that's kind of a, a somewhat of a controversial issue, right? If you ask, hey, what, what is God really all about? It sounds a little strange to say, well, God's really all about God. Like, that's what he cares about, is God's own glory, And maybe for some of you, you're kind of wrestling with that, and you think, man, I've heard stuff like that before, but that just doesn't sit right. In 2009, there was a a professor at the University of Kentucky. He was a professor and author named Eric Reese. And Eric Reese wrote this book, and in it, he was looking at the character of God, and specifically, he started looking at Jesus, and he made the comment that Jesus seemed like an egomaniac. So simply, he's saying, Jesus seems extremely self-centered. Because he looked at verses like in Matthew 10. And in Matthew 10, there's this story where where Jesus tells his followers, he says, look, if you love your father and your mother more than me, you don't deserve me. He says, "If if you don't love me more than your sons and your daughters, you don't deserve me. If you don't pick up your cross for me, you're not worthy of me. If you don't die to yourself for my sake, you're not worthy of me. So Professor Reese looks at this and he wrote, who is this person speaking 2,000 years ago? A complete historical stranger saying that we should love him more so than we should love our own fathers and sons? It just seems to me like an incredibly egomaniacal kind of claim to make. Now, that seems, I mean... It kind of makes sense, right? Like when I'm saying those words that Jesus said, like, like if I ever got up here on stage and I said anything like that, like I stood up here and I said, guys, the big idea today, if you don't love me more than your parents, you got to go. Like you're not, you don't belong here. If you, if you care about your kids downstairs more than me, you don't belong here, guys. I mean, it's, it's weird even, say, sorry, it's weird even saying that. Like it's just a, it's weird. And so a lot of us, I think when we 
hear that, when we hear, man, God is just about his glory, he wants his fame to fill the earth. Jesus wants you to, to worship him more than anybody else. It can sound a little tough. And so quickly, let me just give you two reasons why I think this is actually really important for us to get, that the mission of God is to fill the earth with his glory. First, I think that we have to believe this because I believe this is what scripture teaches. If we look at this book and we say, man, this is truth, this is God's word to us, I think as we search this, that we would find that the mission of God is to fill the earth with his glory. I I found over the last week, as I've been looking at this, over 30 different verses that speak about different things God does for his glory. Now, I'm not going to give you all 30, but I do have a list. So if you really wrestle with this, like email, I will send you that list so you can see this, honestly. But let me give you just a couple. First, in Isaiah 43... God is telling his people, the Israelites, and he says, look, I have created you for my glory. I made you so that I would be glorified. Exodus 14 is the story that many of you probably heard of, of when the Israelites go out of slavery from the Egyptians, and God tells them in Exodus 14, hey, I did that so that my name would be famous. You read through the whole book of Exodus. We really see this as, oh, you know, that God saved the Israelites, and that's true. But if you go through it, just underline every time God says something like, so that my name would be worshipped, so that the nations would see my glory, so that Pharaoh would see me as the true God. He continually says he acts so that all the people around him would glorify his name. Uh, Another one, Isaiah 49, this one's interesting too. He says, he's telling the Israelites, he says, look, I'm going to defer my anger. I'm going to show mercy to you, my people. He doesn't say, because I love you so much, which is true. But he says, I'm going to defer my anger so that my name is great. He says, it's for my name's sake that I do this. What you see throughout scripture is that God acts, he creates, and he saves for his glory. And then, I love this one, in in the prophet Habakkuk 2.14, Habakkuk 2.14 There's this prophecy where he says, look, one day the glory of God is going to fill the earth. He's prophesying and saying this mission of God that all people would glorify him, one day that's going to come true. And in Revelation, at the very end, last book of the Bible, it talks about the new heavens when everything's made new. You know what it says? It's this crazy verse. I love it. 21, 23. It says, in the new heavens, there will be no sun. So think about it. The sun, S-U-N, not the sun Jesus, but the sun In the sky, he says, there's no sun. Why? Because his glory will be our light. It says in Revelation that all of this is actually going to be fulfilled. And like the sun fills the earth, so the glory of God will fill the earth. I mean, just imagine that. Like, I know it's hard today, but imagine like if you're in a building like this and it's cool and there's... It's dimly lit, kind of, and you know, it's, it's kind of hard in here, and you walk outside, and when that sun just hits you when you walk outside, and you got to kind of like squint a little bit because the light is so bright, and your eyes are adjusting, and, and you can close your eyes, and you can just like feel the sun's warmth on your skin, right? You just feel that. God says in the new heavens, my glory will feel, and you'll see it like that, that as the sun hits us today, so the glory of God will fill the earth. The scriptures show that that from the beginning to the end, God is about his glory filling the earth. Now, secondly, let me quickly say this too. 
I know that when we struggle with this, oftentimes an objection is, well, that seems too self-centered, right? You side with Professor Reese and you say, that seems like it's too egotistical. And if I were to ask you, well, what do you think God's mission is? You'd say, well, he, he wants to save the lost, right? Like he wants to help people. He loves people. And I think that is 100% true. But what I would argue is that the only way that this world can change and the only way that lost souls can find salvation and joy and hope is if they see and experience the glory of God. The way that people get saved into a relationship with God is they see Jesus primarily as most glorious. You know, one of the most tragic things in ministry uh, is when you see or you, you have somebody who, who comes and they profess Jesus Maybe they get baptized, maybe they join a serving team, they're, they're in the community for a little bit, and then a matter of months later, they, they walk away. You know, I'm, I'm haunted by a few of these stories. When I was in, doing college ministry at City Light, there's one girl in particular that I remember that, um, that, that I was preaching from the stage, we were talking about the story of Jesus, and, and I would sit after these sermons and talk with her about what that meant, and she was in a place of complete despair and depression, and, and we were preaching the gospel to her, and one day she finally said, yes, I want to accept this, like this is what, this is what brings hope and life, and she got so excited, and for just a couple months, I mean, she was on fire, and then she started to not come around as much anymore, and, and pretty soon she was just completely gone. It's one of the most tragic things to have somebody say, man, I want Jesus as my Savior, and a matter of months later, completely walk away. And look, people do this not because they, they, think, they don't think they need Jesus anymore. They don't think they need a helper. I mean, honestly, it's fairly easy to say some guy died for you 2,000 years ago, so just believe that and you'll be fine. Like, that's fairly easy to accept, but what's hard to accept is that God is the most glorious being in all the earth. That God deserves all of our worship, all of our life, and because he died for us, he deserves everything. That's, that's difficult to accept. But I'm telling you that that is the way that people find salvation in God. It's not because they don't think they need help, but it's because they need to see that God is truly glorious. And so therefore, it is our purpose and mission to help people see God as glorious. If this is God's mission and it's the way that people find salvation, then it is our purpose to help them. So this brings me to point number two. If the mission of God is to fill the earth with his glory, then the next question we should ask is, okay, well, how does he do that? Right? If, if he's doing that now and one day it's going to be complete, then what's his method that he uses to bring himself glory? Well, now let's go to Genesis 1 that Simon read. So if you Got your Bible, go Genesis 1, first chapter in the Bible. And let me read verses 26 through 28 again. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
So if you've been in church for a little while, if you've come around before, you've maybe heard these verses or you've heard, hey, you're an image bearer, right? You're made in the image of God. But if we can like just confess for a second, if you can like bring guards down, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you kind of say, yeah, I don't actually know what that means, right? I mean, can we just be honest? Like you've maybe heard that, but it's kind of this like ethereal idea, like, okay, I'm made in the image of God. Don't really know what that means. Doesn't seem super practical, but I do think that this isn't just a, a weird theological truth that it's like, you don't really need to know that, right? There's more important things, so focus on that. I don't think that's the case. Because I think these verses do actually reveal to us the method of God to show and fill the earth with his glory. But to do this, we have to read these verses in their context, right? So for us today, if I say, hey, God's made you in his image and you're supposed to rule and have dominion over birds and creeping things and everything else, that doesn't make a ton of sense. All right, let's just be honest. That's a little bit confusing. But for the Israelites, when, when Moses wrote this down for them, this made complete sense because of their context. And so let me just briefly explain what's going on here. So as Moses is writing this, he's using this idea that in the ancient Near East, in the culture that the, the Israelites were in, there was this, um, this tradition or this way of doing things that, that every city or nation would have a king or a ruler, okay? So they would have their ruler of their city. Now, if that nation wanted to, to conquer more land and they wanted to expand, what they would do is they would go and they would fight. And if they conquered a new city or a new nation, what they would do is the king had to mark that that's, that's his territory, that's his dominion. And so the king would leave what was called a statue or an image in that land, and then the king would go back to his homeland, now, when that image is there, everyone else around would see that image and they would say, oh, it's, this is that king's land. We submit to that king. And so that image was just this kind of reflector saying, hey, all of this, this is that king's. He is powerful. He is stronger. He has authority. And everyone then would submit under this king because his image was there showing that he had rule and reign. Okay, so let me bring that more into today. So imagine this, if um, we still had kings and rulers, I mean, we have mayors, I guess, but say Omaha had a king and Council Bluffs has a king and we decide, we get together and we're like, hey, Council Bluffs looks easy to take over. Let's go conquer Council Bluffs. I don't know why we'd want it, but there's a river there. We're like, we can go over, we can get it. And so I'm sorry if there's anybody from Council Bluffs, but anyway, so we want that land because it's beautiful and whatever. So we want to go over there. We want to take Council Bluffs. And so we go and we conquer it, which wouldn't be hard, but we get it. And we conquer Council Bluffs. And what the king of Omaha would do is he would leave statues and images in Council Bluffs so that everyone in Council Bluffs would see that and go, oh, that king is our king now. He is the ruler. He is stronger than our old king. Like he has power and authority. So, with that in mind, let's go back to Genesis 1 and see what's going on here. So Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this out, and he uses this idea to explain man's relationship with God. So he says that God, in Genesis 1, he says God creates all things, everything, in the heavens and, and below and the seas and the earth and everything God creates. And then in verse 26, look with me, he says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
So what he's saying is that similarly to how ancient kings would leave their images in their land that they have rule over, so too, he says, God has created us, human beings, as his image bearers to reveal to the entire earth that he is king. That when people see humans, they would go, oh, this is God's land. That he is the king here. Like, we are supposed to be images that reflect glory back to God so that everything would flourish as it is meant to be. But furthermore, remember now, God's mission is to fill the earth with his glory. Well, Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created everything, but we have a, we have a garden, right? There's one garden, it's Adam and Eve. This doesn't seem too expansive, right? There's one garden. But then he gives Adam and Eve a mission, He says in verse 28, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion. So do you see what's going on here? That God is saying that, look, my mission is that all the earth would flourish under my glory. And his method, his strategy is to create image bearers, human beings, that our entire purpose is to reflect glory back to God so that all things flourish as they're supposed to. And then he says, the way that I'm going to do this is he gives us the command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. See, the mission is here from the beginning. God says, I'm going to fill the earth with my glory and I'm going to do it by creating humans that fill the earth in my image. They've multiplied themselves as image bearers to fill the earth and spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth. So don't miss this. In these verses, we see why we were created. You're like, you want to know, hey, what's my purpose in life? Genesis says, be an image bearer. What's my purpose? It's, it's to bear the image of God. It's to reflect glory to God. Our grand purpose is that God would get glory so that all things on earth would actually flourish as they are supposed to. Every time God creates, he says it's good. Things flourish. It's the way that it should be. And he says, you should reflect glory to God so that all things flourish in earth. This is our purpose. Yet I think everyone in this room would admit that we haven't done this perfectly, right? Every image bearer is sinful and flawed. And and the essence of our sin is that we don't really want to reflect glory to God, but we kind of want to receive glory, don't we? I mean, the sin is that we don't want to, to live in our purpose to give glory to God, but we want glory. I mean, this is true even in the biblical story. You go two chapters over, Genesis 3. Do you remember the temptation that Eve fell into, the sin that her heart was lured to? Satan says, if you eat the fruit, you will be like God. You see, she didn't want to reflect glory to God. She actually wanted to receive glory as God. The essence of sin in our world is that we don't want to play our role as image bearers. We want to be the point. I think this is still a sin issue that we have today. Each and every one of us, we we don't like the idea of just reflecting, right? Even when I say that, sometimes it kind of hits you as, well, that's kind of demeaning, right? Like, I don't don't have a greater purpose than that. I mean, we want some glory. We, We want some things for ourselves. I'll even tell you, I was thinking about this a lot this week. And I'm thinking about preaching this sermon and like half of my heart is like, man, I really want you guys to see God, to worship God. And the other half is kind of like, 
but I want you to recognize that I helped you do that, right? I mean, like, it's just, it's wicked. Like, I'm preaching on glory, and I'm kind of like, but it'd be nice if you gave me a little bit of glory, right? I mean, this is just wicked, and we do this over and over again, that our hearts, we actually, we want to be the point. I do want you to worship God, but my sinful flesh also wants you to think that I'm great. I mean, we all do this. We all have these sinful tendencies. We were meant to be mirrors reflecting glory to God, but instead we've turned in and we've fallen in love with ourselves and the things of this world. I mean, it's why that we can spend so many hours talking and thinking about ourselves and so few hours talking and thinking about God. It's why that we can find such pleasure and satisfaction in people, in jobs, in sports, in the things of this world, and we find so little pleasure in God. It's why we can spend hours watching Netflix and barely minutes reading our Bible, right? I mean, our hearts just, our sinful hearts are just so turned in on the world and ourselves. But friends, the story of God is that even when his image bearers rejected him, said, I don't want to reflect glory, I want glory, even when every image bearer, every human being that has lived has turned in on ourselves, he sent one more image. And the beautiful thing is when he sends this other image, it's no longer a flawed image bearer, but Colossians 1 and 2 says that he sent the fullness of God in his image to earth. You see, when God sent Jesus Christ to earth, he didn't send another flawed image bearer, he sent himself God came down as the actual image of God, no longer just bearing the image, but it contained the fullness of God. And for everyone on earth, if we place our faith in him, we're what's called, we're we're justified, we're made right with God. If you believe that Jesus is the true sacrifice and substitute on my behalf, you're made right with God. And then begins this process of what we call sanctification. And sanctification simply means you're becoming more like Jesus. Right? So you're made right with God, and then you become like God. So what God has done in the gospel is that he's actually recreating you to be what you were intended to be in the beginning. Do you see that? Like we were made to be image bearers. We're falling away in sin, and through Jesus, he is now making us into his image. We were created for this, and we are now recreated for the same purpose. It's why here at Providence we care so much about holiness and walking with Jesus closely because you were created to look like Jesus. And God has saved you so that you grow in Christ's likeness. Now, while I think that's glorious enough, I mean, when you think about that, I mean, it makes you worship, right? That Jesus came as the full image of God to save me and then send me again. Like, we're recreated for this purpose But I think the last question I want to address today is then, okay, but what does that actually mean for us, right? So we're we're saved and we're being transformed into Jesus' likeness, but what is the mission of the church then? What are we to do? So if we see that God's mission is to fill the earth with his glory, his method is humans, saving humans and creating us into his image, then what is our role today? Well, to do that, I'm going to try to do this quickly, but I know that I've kind of jumped all over the Bible a little bit. But if you can hang with me, one more connection I want to make, all right? So we see in Genesis 1 that God's command is for us to fill the earth and be fruitful and multiply. Now, while that may be a little bit new to some of us, 
I want to hit a text that's not so new. The Great Commission, right? This is the end of the story of Jesus when he, he lives, he dies, and he is ascending into heaven and he gives the church a mission, right? We talk about this all the time, the Great Commission. We preached on it just a handful of weeks ago. And in the Great Commission, this is the role of the church. This is the mission of the church. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, okay? I want to stop right there. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So in Genesis, God says, he creates humans and he says, be my image bearers, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now the mission of the church, Jesus says, is to go make disciples of all the nations. Now, when we talk about discipleship, as easy as we can say it, it's helping someone look more like Jesus, right? To become a disciple is to transform into the person that's discipling you. So when we talk about making disciples, it's helping people look more like Jesus. So what we see is that the mission you were created for originally was to fill the earth with image bearers so that God's glory would fill the earth. The mission of the church is that he sends the church to fill the earth, all the nations, the entire earth, with disciples or images of Jesus of all the nations. So Genesis says, go and fill the earth and multiply image bearers. Jesus says, go and fill the earth of images of me, disciples of me. It's the same command. This is the end to which we were created, and it's the end to which Jesus has sent us. It's the same thing. Our purpose from the beginning of time till the end of time is to fill the earth with images of God so that his glory would fill the earth. Christopher Wright is an author, and he wrote a phenomenal book. I mean, it's amazing, on the mission of God. And he says it this way. He says, if God's ultimate mission is to glorify himself to the ends of the earth, then we as the church can contemplate no lesser mission for ourselves. He continues on to basically just say, look, if we were created and recreated for the extension of that mission, then our mission can be no less. Our mission is to help create image bearers of Jesus of all the nations. So from Genesis to recreation in Jesus to the commission in Matthew 28 to the fulfillment of the end, God will fill the earth with his glory. In Providence, we are his method. We are the way that he does this. So let me end... um, just with an illustration of this, just to, I'm leaving this fairly not practical for a purpose, I'll tell you at the end, but let me just end with at least an illustration of what I think this looks like. Um, so there are, there are many things in my marriage with my wife Bailey that are great. We, it's awesome, you know, we, we get along great, which is good, we laugh at the same jokes often, we even catch ourselves, we say the same things, married couple, you know, that's weird, like we're only two years in and we'll say like what each other's thinking, so we... Everything usually is good, but one thing we don't simultaneously enjoy is shopping, all right? Now, I need to preface this by saying my wife is amazing, and she rarely makes me go shopping with her, but every once in a while, we are out at the mall or we're somewhere, and uh, I notice sometimes that she kind of has her head on a swivel, right? Like in sports, you keep your head on a swivel so that you can like be aware of everything. Well, she's kind of like spotting out stores, and so her eyes are kind of darting over from place to place, and what she's looking at is, you know, for that thing that's just, you know, just so cute, or it's just the right size, or, or you know, look, it's 50% off, and I, I'm like, well, they marked it up 50% so they could get it 50% off, and it's... <laughs> That might be what we fight about the most. It's like, well, it's $30 off. Well, they charge you $150. You're not saving $30. But that's for another time. Anyway, 
So whatever, what happens sometimes is that she'll, she'll see something in like the shop window, right? She's looking at these shop windows and she says, oh, can we just go and just, just let me look at that quick. Now we do most of the time and almost every time my worst fear uh, happens is that we walk in the store and all of a sudden it's like, oh, but there's that skirt over there and there's the purse and the shoe department's over there. And we're, an hour later, we've scoured the store and we don't even remember the, the shirt that we came in to look at, right? Now, you know that's no accident, Right? These stores, they do that. They put something in the storefront, the window, the shop window, so that that kind of like draws you in. And then once you get in, you're just, you have all these different options and these different things to go look at and to see. And you just spend all your time in these amazing stores. Now, while that scenario actually does bug me, that's my sin, it frustrates me, but I do think that's a little bit of what the church is designed to be. You see, I think in this world, we're kind of designed to be this shop window, that, that when people walk through, they just get a glimpse of what actually is, is even greater inside, right? They, they walk around, and you can see like, oh, for some reason, there's a group of people that just really love each other well. Like, there's people that they ask a lot of questions, and they actually care, and they listen to answers, right? Like, for some reason, I see somebody with joy, and, and with hope, and, and with a purpose, and with satisfaction, and and as the world sees the church, I think God has designed it so that we would be this, this image, this shop window to kind of draw people in. And once they walk into this relationship with Jesus, they're just filled with the glory of what's actually inside. I mean, that's just a taste of what the glory of God is like. But I think that is what our mission really is. I mean, God has sent us to be his images. We're supposed to just give a taste to the world about the glory of God so that people are drawn to him. The mission of God is our mission because this, he has designed it that we would be the shop window to the earth. So Providence, from, from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you go asleep, what this text means is that there is no mundane, dull part of life. You're an image bearer. You're representing God to the world. We as a church are representing God to the world. It means that, you know, if you wonder why, why is it so important that I do a good job and I work hard when I'm at my job? Well, it's because the character of God is to work hard, produce good things, and help things flourish. It's why we do good at our jobs. It's why that if you see somebody hurting and broken around you, that, that when your mind maybe thinks, man, that's too messy, I don't want to get involved with it, that we as the church actually run in because Jesus specializes in helping the hurting and the broken. It's why that when we think about, man, how do I spend my time and who do I hang out with, that, that when our minds and the world often says, man, that, that we want to spend our time with people that can give something back, that we actually say, no, we're going to spend time with the marginalized and the poor in our city because Jesus spent time with the marginalized and the poor in the city. See, how we act is reflecting the character of God to a broken world. It means that everything about our lives now has purpose. So if you've wondered, man, what is the purpose of my life? I think that the Bible says your purpose is to glorify God in all things so that his glory would fill the earth. So what we do here in the summer uh, for, for the core team phase, if you're new, is we kind of, we get into small groups and just kind of think through this and talk through this. And so um, one of the reasons why I left this a little bit more big picture, not as practical, uh, is kind of two things. One, I want you guys to kind of start thinking through this. How does this actually apply 
to our life. And number two, like I said earlier in August, we're going to spend three weeks practically looking at what does it mean to be on mission in our city and in the world. So we're going to get to that. Um, but what I want you to do now is I don't have a program, but the, there's two questions that I want you to discuss in a group. And the first one is that if we actually believe this, that we're image bearers, that that's our purpose, quickly, just go around the group really quickly and just say, this is how it would actually change my day-to-day life. Like if this is my mindset, this is how it might change. But then I want you to spend more time on the second one. And I want you to think through this. And the second question is, what gift or, or skill or talent or wiring do you have that you can actually use to show the world the character and nature of God? Right? I just want you to think, man, what has God wired you with or gifted you with that you can say, I think that I could do this. I think that I could show God to the people around me in this way. And so if you're confused on that, I'll give you my example and then I'll break you guys up. But I was thinking about it last night and I think for me, God, for some reason, has kind of wired me to be able to, to speak or, or to use words, right? Now, I think that that's, I mean, God uses words. If you see, I mean, we have his word. When Jesus was here, he says he has the words of life. I think words are important. And so I can see in my life that I can either use words and I can think through, you know, what is good and helpful, or I can often use words to tear people down or to compete or, or to hurt. And so I think that one of the things God has gifted me in is to be able to use words for life and for encouragement and for exhortation and to, to help people and not hurt people. And so I want you to think, man, what, what are you good at? What, what is something that you have that you could say, man, I think this is an aspect of God that I could show the people around me. So get into groups of about four to six people, run through those two questions, and then I'll come back up and pray for us in a little bit.